Truth and Reconciliation Day is an opportunity to listen and to learn. And the Faculty of Native Studies at the University of Alberta has created a, it's an incredible 12 lesson course that explores the histories and contemporary perspectives of Indigenous peoples living in Canada. And today, we're going to give you a snapshot of this course, play some of the lessons here on the radio. Right now, we're going to dive into Indigenous legal traditions. Instructor Isaac Twin explores the stark difference between common law and the way justice should be handled under various Indigenous cultures. Take a listen. The laws of indigenous societies are based on the cultural worldview that humans are as important as any other inhabitants of the planet. That humans must coexist with rather than assume authority and control over others. As well, indigenous legal traditions have evolved over time, forming and reforming as needed and corresponding with the circumstances and challenges of the time. There are complexities to indigenous legal traditions. We have discussed how Indigenous laws focus on maintaining a sense of peace and harmony within communities. This next section examines how Indigenous legal traditions are enforced when those laws are broken. One of the major differences that sets Indigenous law apart is that communities promote the use of a variety of systems including restorative justice and healing circles, rather than courtrooms and prisons. Elders play a significant role in the administration of justice and resolution of disputes. Restorative justice recognizes wrongdoing as impacting relationships. It therefore seeks to restore balance in the community after a wrong has occurred. It does so in two ways. First, through the healing and reparation of all parties involved and rehabilitation of the offender. As opposed to being focused on a punishment, this process forces offenders to be accountable to those they have hurt. Offenders are also expected to acknowledge their actions. In Canadian law, offenders who commit a violation are not required to incriminate themselves and complete not guilty. Restorative justice requires offenders to plead guilty. This encourages a resolution between the victim and their family as well as the offender and his or her conscience. Once the offender acknowledges their complicity in a crime, everyone can begin to accept and move towards resolution. This process also allows the victims to express their feelings. Second, as opposed to being adversarial, restorative justice brings everyone involved together to come to resolutions that allow people to move past transgressions in a mutually acceptable way. Once an offender has faced his or her circle of community members and reconciles the offending act, the obvious next step requires discussion about the consequences. As we will see in the next section, this process of holistic and values-based justice affects the consequences and may be distinguished from a more retribution or just desserts based approach. Within settler law, if a person is found guilty of a crime, then the punishment takes the form of a fine, a jail sentence, or probation. As mentioned, within Indigenous legal traditions, an offender must concede and admit the crime that he or she has committed in order for everyone involved to move forward in a positive way. 
The consequences for breaking the law vary from community to community. From an Indigenous perspective, law is about restoring balance. A punishment-based system under settler law seems like it lets the offender off the hook, effectively relieving them of guilt. The perception is that the offender goes to prison where they do not have to face the victim or their family and they are fed and cared for. This system falters twice. First, the offender does not make any kind of direct restitution to the victim. And second, offenders' families may suffer hardship while the offender is imprisoned, particularly if they were the primary provider. So everyone but the offender is seen to pay the consequence of the crime. What happens instead? The consequences of committing crimes vary from situation to situation and community to community and have evolved over time. Forms of punishment are less fixed than Western law and focus mainly on the offender taking responsibility for their actions to work towards healing and recovery. Though there are many parallels in philosophy surrounding Indigenous law, the type and severity of the punishment can differ quite dramatically. Depending on the severity of the crime, an offender might face anything from monetary restitution to banishment, depending on their community. An example of this comes from a Dakota community where the father of a murderer gave his son to the family of the victim in order to assume the role of provider for the family and in some way restore what he had stolen away. As you have seen, indigenous cultures place a lot of value on relationships. There is an expectation that efforts will be made to honor not only each other, but also the earth and other inhabitants. Indigenous legal systems are generally non-prescriptive, non-adversarial, and non-punitive. They tend to promote values such as respect, restoration, and consensus, are closely connected to the land, the creator, and the community. To many people familiar only with settler justice systems, Indigenous laws are perceived more like customs because they are oral and not connected to state institutions. Prior to contact, many Indigenous laws were not written down. In some cases, they were visually illustrated, such as the case of the Iroquois wampum belt. Indigenous laws were often passed down from one generation to the next through storytelling. Storytelling is a method of non-interference allowing elders to give advice to young people without directly telling them what to do. This strategy is their way of complying with the all-important value of non-interference in the behavior of others. Non-interference requires individuals to derive their own meaning from the stories based on their own experiences and to thereby allow them to feel more connected to the outcomes or legal lessons. Indigenous societies understood that if people, even young people, were allowed to make their own decisions about behavior, then they would be more likely to take responsibility for their actions. In addition, since wrongdoers cannot plead not guilty as one could in a Western courtroom, children grew up understanding that they would be held accountable for their behavior. As people become aware of connections between their actions and the resulting impact on everything and everyone around them, the lessons become real for them. You can see how an actions equal con consequence approach is closely tied to admitting guilt and a consequent willingness to make up for their acts through restorative justice.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.